In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Politically Georgia podcast, where we bring you news and analysis from all the latest Georgia shenanigans in Congress and under the Gold Dome. We journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution want to take a minute to thank our subscribers. Because of your support, we were able to make this podcast available to everyone. Our reporting and local journalism is because of subscriber support of our newspaper. If you are not a print or digital newspaper subscriber, join us. Go to AJC.com and sign up today. Thank you, and continue to follow our reporting in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and online at AJC.com. And today we're joined by Maya T. Prabhu, uh, who is one of our state legislative correspondents who's been basically living at the Capitol to talk about uh, the weirdest or the second weirdest legislative session <laughs> that we've ever seen. Um, this is the second Georgia legislative session held during the pandemic, but it's also held under intense security. The roads are closed. Police presence is huge outside. There's a battering ram outside the, the state capitol building. What's it like? Yeah, it's definitely really different. You know, there are a lot of like multiple things ha- happening at once. So obviously there's all of the COVID protocols. People are, um, you know, every mostly everyone is wearing masks, which is definitely different from even June. Um, you know, masks are required on the floors of each chamber. Uh, lawmakers are getting their temperatures taken um, as they come into the door. And, um, you know, we haven't had any committees yet, but, you know, they're still set up from June where committee rooms are spaced out and kind of limited mm-hmm. uh, to the number of people that they'll, they'll allow in the room. So we have all of those COVID protocols in place, but then we also have, like you mentioned, the heightened security after the um, storming of the U S Capitol in DC last year. So everybody is heightened. There's always been a lot of uh, a high police presence just with Capitol police on campus, but now it's even more, you know, we have, light armored vehicles. We have, um, you know, it looks like SWAT uh, officers in fatigues with huge guns standing in the street. And then an additional layer is last year after a lot of the uh, protests over uh, racial injustice, um, when they ended up at the Capitol, there was some damage to the building and they approved placing a uh, metal fence 
constructing a metal fence to surround mm-hmm. the Capitol. So we also have that construction going on. They're like digging a ditch uh, along the perimeter of the Capitol, which will at, at some point uh, be uh, a, a fence will be placed up. But because of that, we have all of these metal barricades around the Capitol that are limiting the way you can even get onto Cap campus. I know the way that I normally walk on the campus is, is uh, blocked off now and I have to go a- around a different way. So it's limiting the access. They want you know everyone coming onto campus through certain um, avenues. So it's just lots of different, different things. Um, but then once you're in the building, other than the masks, uh, things kind of feel the same. Yeah, let's talk about that because, yeah, we're definitely getting our extra steps in. Um, yeah. There's still some security officers in the building. I've, all the lawmakers I've talked to feel very safe. They're not worried yes. about – they're worried about the pandemic, but they're not worried about their own personal security or safety um, in terms of, like, protester risks. Um, but there's also, uh, you know, p- testing protocols um, that some lawmakers are adhering by and others not so much. Yeah. So on Monday, the first day of session, you know, in, in the weeks before session, they rolled out this plan of how they were going to approach conducting session in person during a pandemic. And that included the mask wearing, but it also included um, all lawmakers and staff were, you know, were, we're told, quote unquote, mandated to get uh, COVID tests twice a week. So on Monday, when they come back from, you know, being at home in their districts, and then on Thursdays, uh, before they go back to their districts, um, they're uh, partnering with Georgia Tech, and they're doing these um, spit COVID tests, which, I, which I'd never, I still haven't seen before. Uh, but they have a 24 hour turnaround. And uh so all of the lawmakers on Monday, I remember seeing them lined up outside this room getting their um, COVID test. But it turned out it was not all of the lawmakers. Um, I think most senators, uh, from what I'm told by Senate staff, got theirs, but not all. And nearly half of uh, state representatives just skipped the test on Monday. Yeah. So they had their second round on on Thursday. And I have um, calls out to find out what compliance was like. But I'm also told that while it's a requirement, at least on the Senate side, the Senate um, Speaker Pro Tem's office can't force lawmakers to get COVID tested in order to be seated on the floor. Um, they think it's a it's a it w- they think that it would be against the law for them to do that. So they're encouraged. They want them to do that. They think there may be a mechanism in place that could force lawmakers to take tests if they're going to be seated on the floor, but it can't come through that office. It can't, it can't come from staff. So the, the idea was they hope it doesn't get to that point. They hope everyone chooses to comply, but, um, but I think they were ready to kind of put some stricter things in place if folks don't start getting their tests. And the speaker was pretty peeved, uh, not just uh, after after Monday's results, but but on Thursday he reminded everyone right before the state of the state address, it's Thursday. You remember what day it is. You remember why it's Thursday is important. Go get your testing. So hopefully we, we're seeing we'll see a bump in participation. But um, clearly some some lawmakers are not taking this seriously at all. Yeah, definitely. And I've actually heard that there are some lawmakers who've indicated, you know, in their private circles that they don't plan on ever getting tested <laughs> throughout sessions. So mm. it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. Yeah. Well, how about you? I mean, do, do you feel safe as a reporter going down there? Um, you, you said that like the security is is 
obviously, you know, stifling, but, but, you know, in that sense, it, it, it makes you feel protected. But what about in terms of socially distancing in the pandemic? I definitely feel better now than I did in June. You know, mask uh, usage is, I would say, at least from what I've seen, like 90%, whereas mass usage in June was probably like 50%. Um, So, you know, the masks are huge. I have an N95 that I wear underneath a cloth mask. So I feel good every, I haven't, I haven't had to be in any committee hearings yet. Um, So I don't know about that, but they have um, in the press gallery um, on the, Senate side, they have us spread out. Um, They're very particular about making sure even we sitting, you know, 20 feet away from each other, they don't want us taking off our masks while we're in the gallery. And so I feel, I feel safe um, health wise so far, at least I haven't had anyone who in June, I definitely had people who were refusing to wear masks, wanting to be close talkers. And I'm like, okay, guy, back (laughs) up. Um, But I haven't had too much of that yet this year. So, so we'll see so far. So good. Good, good. Well, look, there's a lot of issues to talk about in this session. So it's going to be a very busy session, even though there's all sorts of expectations and, and um, predictions from leading lawmakers. Oh, yeah, we'll just get out. We'll, we'll pass a budget and move on. Um, one of the biggest issues that came up during the State of the State address a couple of days ago was um, citizens arrest. That is an issue you've been covering for years now. The governor didn't endorse repealing the citizens arrest law, but endorsed revamping it, uh, scaling it back, uh, what he calls significant reforms. We're not sure what those reforms are going to look like, in his words, quite yet. But this is something that came up in a major way during the summer of of racial uh, justice protests um, in the wake of Ahmaud Arbery's death. Yeah. So, um, you you know, folks might remember uh, when Ahmaud Ahmaud Arbery was uh, followed and shot and killed in February, one of the reasons why it took so long for the people who followed and shot him to be arrested was because there was a prosecutor who said that they were justified under the citizen's arrest statute. And so he recommended Mm -hmm. that there be no arrest. Um, And since then we, you know, obviously uh, GBI disagreed with that. Prosecutors disagreed with that. Those men have since been arrested and charged with murder. Um, But just the fact that there are prosecutors who think that this is a law that a a defense that is, um, you know, that can be used to justify following someone who you think uh, committed a crime and not Mm -hmm. only, you know, arresting them, detaining them, but using violence against them, using force against them and, and harming them or killing them was, was justifiable. There've been calls from Democrats and Republicans to kind of look at the way the state uh, allows citizens arrest. It's a law that was placed on the books in the 1800s from, uh, from historical perspective, it was placed on the books so that essentially for fugitive slave catchers so that people could catch and return slaves who had fleed the plantations where they uh, had been being held. And so uh, there's this racial underpinning of the implementation of the law to begin with. And so a lot of people are are saying that this is something that doesn't need to be on our books anymore. And there were committees held over the summer um, 
uh, chaired by um, Ch- a representative Chuck Efstration, who also uh, sponsored the hate crimes bill that passed last year in response also to Ahmaud Arbery's death. Um, and he said in the fall that he planned to introduce legislation that would scale back citizens' arrest and um, but keep uh, a big concern during the hearings was uh, people who, uh, you know, like uh, law, was it loss protection, uh, people and retail mm-hmm. outlets. Um, if you see someone shoplifting, security can stop and hold them until police get there. And so they wanted to make sure that they were able to keep that type of provision. Or if someone breaks into your home, you can keep them there. So they, they want to figure out the way to keep uh, people safe in that way or still allow people to detain someone who they believe committed a crime. Um, But as far as, you know, walking down the street and thinking that you've seen a crime, uh, you won't be able to uh, pursue and detain and transport them to police yourself. Yeah. We'll be closely watching that one because that, that, and that's something that you've been covering for a very long time. And Look, um, you know, it's one of those issues that you, you, you pointed this out. And we included this in the story. As the governor was talking about his plans to scale back the law, you saw a, a powerful Republican state senator have a, a very um, interesting reaction. Yeah. So because of the pandemic during the state of the state, while they're normally all in one room together in the House chamber to to uh, witnessed the speech, the, most senators stayed back in Senate chambers and they broadcast it up on the on the big screen. And uh, as the governor mentioned his plans to make changes to um, <clears throat> citizens arrest law, I saw Senator Tyler Harper, you know, vehemently shaking his head. No, like, no, 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 we're not going to do that. And he um, and, and a, a lot of gun rights activists push back against the idea of repealing citizens arrest. And he is definitely someone, I think he has an A plus NRA rating and he, um, you know, has introduced a lot of legislation that would um, in the past that would loosen restrictions and regulations around firearms. And so uh, he made it clear that he was not happy about the suggestion of changing that, and we'll just see once a bill comes out what it says and and how it progresses. One other issue that we'll be closely watching the governor did not mention was was um, election laws. Um, he said in an interview with me a few days ago that he unequivocally endorsed adding voter ID requirements to absentee ballot system. He said that it should be front and center for lawmakers. But doing his speech, his, his big state of the state address, he, he steered clear of a lot of those divisive issues. Um, he didn't talk about vote, voting laws. He didn't talk about gun rights. He didn't talk about social, socially conservative legislation, abortion, religious liberty, all those issues that, that you know, Republicans often use to, to energize their bases um, th- those were exempt. Those were left uh, largely left out of of this big speech he made. Yeah, yeah, and and but you know we've seen lawmakers who um, have been uh, upset about the way absentee balloting is done. They think it's unfair. They think it leaves it ripe for fraud. Um, so there was uh, we had a story this week about. Um, some lawmakers who say that they signed their absentee ballot request and their actual absentee ballot 
when they returned it using different signatures. They signed it in different ways and their ballots were still processed. And they're using that as a way of saying, um, C signature match doesn't work. We need to get rid of it. And, you know, there are a couple of schools of thought from people who want to mm-hmm. include um, voter ID during the absentee balloting process. Um, and that, you know, there's some people who are like hardliners are like, you need to photocopy your ID and you need to send a photocopy of your ID in with your, <laughs> with your ballot you know, whether or not you have access to a photocopy machine, doesn't matter. We, you have, your ballot will not be counted unless you send in this uh, copy of your photo ID. And then there's some who think that uh, you should be, there should be a, a number on there where you have to include either your driver's license number or a voter ID number or some other type of identifying number where they can uh, tie the, the, the returned ballot um, to use specifically other than a signature because they say that signatures are are unreliable. Um, I don't think those bills have been filed yet, but I think we should be seeing them soon. Yeah. And one more interesting development this week, um, and it wasn't unexpected, but you're seeing a bipartisan coalition get together and back swapping out the statues in the U.S. Capitol. G- Georgia and every other state gets two, capital, two statues in the U.S. Capitol Sanctuary Hall, Statuary Hall, I should say. Um, and it's up to the state legislature um, which which figures should be represented. Well, for decades, Alexander Stevens, the vice president of the Confederacy, has been one of Georgia's two statues. And Speaker David Ralston and Representative Democratic Representative Al Williams, a Republican and a Democrat, um, got together this week and endorsed swapping Alexander Stevens out with John Lewis. Yeah, you know, and I think that could be, um, you know, that could be something that a lot of people agree with. You know, I know that the governor um, has said in the past that he approved of of doing something like that. He would, uh, mm-hmm. he would need to, he he would need to approve the change. The general assembly would need to approve the change, um, and and it it seems as though it, it's likely, um, especially. Uh, you know, in this time, less than a year after his passing, um, I think that there's definitely an appetite to um, remove a figure uh, known for racism and, and replace him with someone, um, someone John, like Congressman John Lewis. Yeah. Um, well, in the next couple of days, what's what's going to be the, the number one thing you're watching? Yeah. So, uh over the next week or so, we're going to have budget presentations. Um, and so, you know, there are certain areas that that I uh, pay a lot of attention to, different things around criminal justice, corrections. Um, I think there's going to be a push for more money for mental health issues, especially as um, people have had their lives um uh, you know, in in upheaval for the past going on a year now, you know, I'm sure that uh, mental health, you know, I did a couple of stories about this when the pandemic started, you know, just like the, the mental toll placed on you by living under the, um, just all of the fallout of, of what being in this pandemic means for people. And so I think there is a, some desire to, to get some money um, back into, um, uh, 
back into agencies that will help with mm-hmm. people who have mental health issues. So that's definitely something I'm, you know, when it comes to like money, <laughs> that's something I'm watching in the next week. And then also just what happens with, uh, with COVID. Uh, we had um, in on the Senate side on Monday, when they took their tests, we had two senators test positive just immediately at, straight out of the gate. Two senators who were on campus were in, in the building all day, um, tested positive for COVID. So we had more testing done on Thursday. I'm, when I finish this, I'm planning to call and find out uh, if we had more positive tests and just what happens if we see, you know, an outbreak, if, if, you know, a large number of lawmakers are have to stay home because they've tested positive for COVID. The interesting thing is we have no idea what's going over on the House side. They're refusing to release any yeah. information or data about test results. Um, you know, I, I understand not telling us who has tested positive, but I think since we all have to be in that building with with these people every day, I think knowing the number of people who've been exposed um, doesn't violate any any health laws. Um, so this has been my my battle this week. Um, but uh, yeah, so we have no we have no clue what's going on over on the house side. But um, I sit on the senate side, so I guess that's good for me. <laughs> But, but in general, good for like everyone who has to be in that building, probably not great. Um, but yeah, so we'll we'll see, you know, again, if more people actually got their tests taken on Thursday, like they have been asked to do. And then if there are a lot more positive results and, and then if we get a ton of positive people who are positive for COVID, will we have to suspend the session again or will they just push through with the number of people who are still healthy. You know, it, it remains to be seen. Gotcha. Well, thank you so much for monitoring all the craziness at the Capitol for the, us, the AJC, and our entire team down there. And hopefully you get some rest before, uh, before it gears back up again. Yes, rest is definitely in my future. <laughs> well, that's all for this week's edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. Head to AJC.com forward slash politics to subscribe to Politically Georgia. You'll get access to our daily newsletter, along with all of our stories and updates on all things Georgia politics. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and rate us. It really means a lot to us when you do. And as always, thank you for listening. Hip-hop is a product of Black people. It's a product of Black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants a rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter.